Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner of future technology. And today I have Cody Burke, uh, Director of Investor Relations with Stratasys. And from what I've seen, uh, Stratasys, I don't know if I'm right, but it's the biggest 3D printing uh, company in the world, right, right Cody? Yeah, thanks, Richard. Yeah, it, I mean, you know, certainly from a um, an installed-based perspective in terms of, you know, how many machines we have out there in the wild, um, definitely the, the, the largest in the, you know, in the industry. Um, you know, and, and sure. also from a you know size in terms of employees and, and sort of uh, you know global coverage, uh, def- definitely the largest in the industry. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate the interview. I know that uh, you, know, you guys are busy, so I definitely appreciate you taking the time and being here. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Happy to. Sure. So, um, just in brief, can you tell me a sketch of Stratasys? You know, what different functions the company performs, and and then maybe a little bit about your position after that. Yeah, I mean, so so Stratasys as a company, I mean, we've been around for uh, you know over 25 years. Um, you know, the the original company was started in uh, Minnesota, Eden Prairie, Minnesota, by a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Scott Crump, and he he was actually one of the one of the, of the inventors of um, one of the, the the 3D printing technologies that exists today, the FDM process, which for kind of a a layperson explanation of it is kind of like a you can imagine it as sort of a hot glue gun attached to a robot arm, essentially that, that builds up an object layer by layer. Um, and he invented that uh, in his kitchen. Actually, uh, you know, in Minnesota, about you know, nearly almost 30 years ago now, um, and then built oh, up the company. And then the, you know, there was a, about 2012, um, Stratasys uh, merged with a Israeli company by the name of Object. Um, kept the Stratasys name, but um, but merged with with Object. And that it's at that point that the, you know, the company kind of became the the global leader in the industry. Um, and then uh, you know, sort of added a few more assets over the years. MakerBot, a, a desktop 3D printing company servicing the lower end of the market. Um, a couple other, mm. you know, some software. Companies. Companies, some other sort of add-ons, um, and now kind of is in a, a position of, of you know being one of the one of the only players really in the industry that can offer sort of that full set of solutions for you know whatever a customer's sort of 3D printing needs. The you know Stratasys has a uh, you know has a solution for that customer and, and what they need to do. Yeah, it, maybe it's obvious, but what what is the full set of service? I mean, there's the printing itself, then I guess the software to make. The 3D models, whatever whatever you want to print, um, and maybe to evaluate the technology used. What what else goes in? What goes into making a decision on what to print, uh, how it should be printed, if it should be printed, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's very application driven, right? So there's, you know, it's it's you know, if you have a a, a customer that that say is is you know, interested in in prototyping, um, they're you know, say they're a, a company that makes um, you know, a consumer good, you know, that that makes phone cases, say, right? So they're gonna, you know, they're they're going to look at what they're doing currently, you know, without 3D printing technology for their prototyping and 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 what you know what their needs are and how they can improve that process and, and save some money ultimately. Um, and they might then look at 3D printing and say, okay, you know, we we already have the files in the 3D CAD software, you know, what can we do to, you know, uh, make our time to market shorter, right, and, and get the product out faster and more customizable and, and react quicker to a new iPhone design. 
um, and they, they'll look at the technology and, um, you know, in our case, they would look at us and, you know, we would be able to offer them some software called GrabCAD that would help them in the, the process of, of the engineers actually collaborating around that file before they even move to the printing stage. Um, then we would be able to help them with, you know, printers that can print that um, that phone case prototype in, in a, a variety of different materials uh, depending on what their needs are. So thermoplastics or, or um, you know, more like kind of rubber-like materials, we can do that as well. Full color, we can do that. Um, and that what that really does is enables them to shorten their time to market, right? And so they can they can move much much quicker than they would previously, which which you know translates into some pretty significant cost savings for them. Um, that's just a prototype example. Obviously, there's different kinds of examples for for different industries. Yeah, you know, I realize I've talked to a lot of people about uh, the materials used in 3D printing, but what about um, you brought it up color? What kind mm -hmm. of surface treatments? or surfaces can you create with 3D printers that maybe people aren't aware of? Well, I think the, I think the most basic one, you know, kind of, um, you know, iteration of the technology that people are familiar with is the plastics, right? And, and that's probably the largest part of the industry is more your basic kind of kind of plastics, essentially like a Lego plastic, right? You can, you can print that very easily. Um, you know, our, one of our, our, our technologies is uh, the PolyJet technology, and this is what was developed by the Israeli team, the the, um, the object uh, company, and that's a system of using a photopolymer, and so you're actually jetting it out of a um, uh, very similar to an inkjet head, and you're jetting that out, you know, very thin, you know, fine droplets of these different resins, and and they're then exposed to UV light, which hardens them, and you can you can mix that material as you go, so you can create pretty amazing um, prints. You can do things like a like if you were to prototype a TV remote control, you could you could you could print that in one shot, and it would be it would be like a hard plastic shell. The buttons would be squishy, and they would be different colors, right? And you could you could do that in one wow. shot, and that's something that up until you know just in the last sort of year or so that that wasn't possible to do. There just wasn't any technology that could do that. Um, so we're we're really moving um, into some really interesting areas. You know that's that's what we do. There's there's obviously other companies that do some other stuff around um, the really you know kind of bleeding edge stuff around metals, 3D printing and different kinds of metals, um, ceramics, uh, glass, you know, things like that. Um, and then really, really kind of out there, I think more on the science fiction edge of things, which is really exciting is the medical space, right? Where people are, um, you know, working on how to, how to print in different tissues and things like that for drug sampling and, and, and other sorts of medical applications. Yeah. Huh. Even, even making the remote <clears throat> is amazing. So now you, you're saying with your technology, you can make complex objects that have different materials in them and different feels, and that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and that's one of the key sort of you know innovations that, that we've worked on, and, and I think is um, you know really on the high end of the prototyping market is that ability to you know print something with a mix of materials in it, so that hard plastic, those squishy rubber kinds of plastics, um, and, and also those different colors. One of the really, really one of the most you know exciting things I, I've seen develop is the um, the surgical planning uh, application for us, and so that's when we work with um, work with hospitals, and they're, they're the surgeons are going in and they're taking the a mix of X-ray and CT scan data, um, and they're you know transporting that into, into software that turns that into a 3D model, and then we're able to print out you know um, exact replicas of, of let's say a, um, 
you know, if a, if a patient is, is going to have a, an operation, um, say, to, to remove something like a brain tumor. And so you can print out an actual replica of the patient's head where the, you know, the, the sort of the skin is, is clear so you can see through it. The bone is clear so you can see through it. So we're printing that in a clear material. And then the brain itself will be printed in a different material so, it, it, you know, you can see it, obviously. And then, then the tumor or whatever it is can, you know, will be pr presented in a different material so you can see that. And so wow. it's an exact replica. I mean, that's the actual person's head. That's their actual brain. That's the actual tumor. Um, and so the the ability to, you know, use that multi-material functionality um, to, to do something like that in medical and to improve patient outcomes is, is, is a really, really powerful application. And we're just, just scratching the surface of those kinds of applications. That's crazy. So the surgeon could see it and practice on it perhaps and and get a better feel for exactly what they're going to encounter. Yeah, exactly, precisely. I mean, so it's it's it's. I mean, because you you imagine sort of that that scenario of a of a surgeon going into an operation and they're relying on um, you know in many cases they, maybe they'll have a three D model on a computer, maybe they'll have you know a lot of the times they just have the different X rays. You know, you go to the dentist and you're sitting there and you can yeah. see all those X ray slides they put up of your teeth. You know, the, well the doctors you know they're looking at that, those two D images and kind of converting it in their head into a three D version. You know, oh. you know, kind of estimating. But imagine how powerful it is for a, a, a surgeon and a doctor doctors to have um, something they can actually hold in their hands and they can say, okay, this is literally the exact spot where this where this tumor is relative to other parts of the brain. This is the approach I'm going to take when I'm going in. Um, so it's, it, it's very exciting stuff. Do you think they'll um, ever have biomimetic materials where you're not only creating a, a recreation of someone's head, but you're, the materials that make the the head, for instance, are very similar to the resistance, the thickness, the material material characteristics of the actual human head, and maybe having a, um, you know, the, um, I mean, it's kind of crazy, but, you know, so the yeah. surgeon could practice on it, but they actually get a visceral <laughs> feel of how it will be. It's almost as if you've been sitting in our meetings. No, uh, I mean, honestly, that that's an application that we're, we're, uh, we're very, far along on, um, and, and the example that, you know, uh, we've, we've talked about, you know, internally and, and, and with, with the people externally is, you know, uh, so currently surgeons right now, they have, there's a, and I can't remember the exact number, but there's a, uh, a surgeon has to practice uh, the, a particular surgery um, a certain amount of times to maintain their different sort of certifications. Um, and currently, most of the time what they do is they use um, pig cadavers or, um, or, or human cadavers um, to, to mm -hmm. practice. So let's say it's an operation on a hand, right? They need a hand from a, a cadaver and they have to practice um, you know, doing some sort of, of operation on it, um, you know, uh, with a certain frequency, right, to maintain their skill set. Um, and so we're working working on developing that exactly exactly what you said, right, which is is to be able to print that hand in such a way that um, you know the the different areas of the hand, you know, as you cut through it, would perform, you know, react very very similar to a human body, right? So that would be blood flowing. Yeah. That would be um, you know the different texture differences between the skin and between a vein. Um, and that's 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 exactly where we're headed with it. Um, and we do we do think that's a pretty significant opportunity. That's awesome. I mean, that could be for crash test dummies. It could be for phlebotomists learning how to draw blood. I mean, it could be for uh, 
all kinds of yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, if, you, if, if I'm talking to someone in my family, say, say my aunt, right, who doesn't, you know, doesn't, maybe not, doesn't fully understand the technology and, and, and they'll, they'll you know, always ask me, so like, okay, what's the deal with this stuff? And what I always tell people is, look, like, the, the part that's going to impact your life in a really, really meaningful way first will be medical. You know, you or someone you know will, mm. will, will, you know, benefit from the application of 3D printing technology in the medical field, I think, before, you know, bef- far before you're sort of having one at home and you're printing out spare parts, you know, for around the house, uh, you know, more than likely, you, you know, without even knowing it, you'll, you'll benefit in some way from a medical application of the technology. Okay. Interesting. Um, just to finish off the medical space, um, sure. right now what's happening in the medical space, are people getting hip implants that are 3D printed? Or I heard hearing aids are 3D printed. I mean, what what's existent that's out there that you know of? Yeah, so I mean, those are two interesting examples. So the hip implant, um, yeah, there's a company called Arcam that that does metal 3D printing technology, and and they they do hip implants. Um, it, it's kind of a, a almost a cautionary tale, you know, if you if you know for the industry as you look at that, and and you know this is they've been doing this for years, right? And and the only thing that they can do is the hip implant, right? And that's because the regulatory uh, hurdles that you have to pass to do something like 3D printing a hip implant are, are huge, right? And it takes a very long time. And just because they've been cleared, you know. Um, by the FDA and the you know, relevant you know, regulatory bodies to do something like a hip implant, that doesn't mean that they can just do a knee implant the next day, right? They, they have to go through the same process for the knee implant. So um, the medical space, is, it, it's fascinating, and there's a lot of real applications, but it's also very slow moving, right? The technology is moving fast, but the regulatory environment moves really slow, um, which is, you know, I suppose for the best, right? You don't want sort of, you know, just anybody printing things and putting them in people's knees, but um, it, it takes a while for those things to develop. Um, now, in the, the hearing aid example, that's another interesting one because, you know, the hearing aid industry is almost completely penetrated by 3D printing, right? It's only one of the few industries that is, so it's very really? rare that you would you would get a 3D a, a hearing aid that wasn't 3D printed at some point in its process of being developed, um, and, and the reason for that is because the ROI. It, the, re- the reason the ROI is so compelling is is not because it's cheaper to 3D print the hearing aid than it is to make it in a, a conventional means like you used to, but the difference is, is that you don't get the number of returns, right? Hearing aid obviously is, is, is you know, your ear is very sensitive, and if the hearing aid doesn't fit quite right, it's going to bother people, and then they send it back, and they have to make another one and send it back to them. Um, by 3D printing, they're customizing them for everyone's ears, and so there's no, there's just they drastically cut back on the amount of products that get returned, um, and that's where they get the cost savings. No. Yeah, my wife just got hearing aids, so it's pretty likely that they were 3D printed is what you're saying. At some level in the process, yeah, yeah. Now, no, maybe not the finished part that she got, you know, maybe not the finished hearing aid that she got. Maybe that wasn't 3D printed, but possibly the mold that they made that from was or, or some part in that development process. Um, it's highly likely that they used 3D printing, yes. Okay. Interesting. Very, very interesting. All right, so... um. Oh, last question in the medical space. What about actual organs, you know, replacement liver itself? Yeah, uh, so that, how, I mean, that, yeah, that's the crazy stuff, right? Um, I, you know, I think, yeah. I, look, I think realistically we're, we're, we're a ways out from that, right? Obviously talking about sort of the the, jump, the hurdles that, that, you know, people have gone through just to do, say, a hip implant, right? Um, and that's just a, a, you know, object printed out of a titanium powder. Um, you know, getting into functioning organs is a whole other, you know, whole other ball ballgame. Uh, what we are seeing, and this is happening today, is companies working on um, – 
you know, 3D printing uh, essentially tissue samples to test pharmaceuticals on. And I think that's kind of the first thing we'll see, right, is that, is that you, can, you could replicate, you could print, let's say, you know, liver tissue that you could test drugs on, human liver tissue, and test drugs on that, right, and, and avoid, you know, uh, animal testing and also, you know, human trials. And so there's, I think that's kind of where we'll see it first. I mean, in, in a long-term sense, there's not, really, there's not really any reason that we couldn't get to that stage, but it's, I, I'd say that's pretty far out at this point. Yeah. Okay. But but it's coming. It, it may happen. So. Well, yeah, and, and you know, there's a company um, called uh, Organovo that's that, that's doing a lot of work around that, and they they actually have a spinoff company. Uh, it's called Modern Meadows, which is really an interesting one, um, uh, based 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 here in Brooklyn. Um, that uh, is working on uh, 3D printed leather and and ultimately 3D printed meat, and they're basically using the same technology as as the the, the company doing the organ stuff, but they're taking it more of a consumer hmm. focus. And they're saying, okay, like, you know, let's see if we can start using the same concepts of printing, you know, sort of organic matter, uh, and apply that to printing leather, and see where we can go with that. Interesting. Okay. Any any other? Um, well, I mean, there's many other. What? What other exciting applications are you seeing outside of the medical space? Yeah, I mean, I think I think some of the it kind of you kind of split, right? You see, you know, there's there's the super high end stuff, right, which is the medical and 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 you know some of the stuff we're seeing in say the aerospace industry. Um, you know, we're seeing you know we have um, you know the Airbus's newest jets that they're rolling off the line uh, have you know over a thousand parts on them that are three D printed, right? And so those are those are end use parts, so they're not prototypes. They're I mean they're the actual you know parts that are printed. And they're not, they're not terribly sexy parts. They're mostly things like cable organizers and, um, you know, uh, very small parts that, that you get a lot of value by, by printing them in small batches and they're customized to the jet. Um, you know, so that's a, that's a great application for us. And, and we, see, we see in aerospace in particular um, a, a tremendous opportunity um, to start printing more and more parts in, in, in aerospace. And we're doing a lot of exciting work on that end. So that's on the, on the high end. There's all the, you know, that kind of excitement. Um, you know, one of the most exciting things I see is in the education space. Space, and that's just getting um, getting kids exposed to the technology, particularly the lower end um, versions of the technology, uh, because they just get it. They're very intuitive with the, with 3D. I mean, they you know kids can they can play around in Minecraft, and then they can export the model and 3D right, print yeah, it. Yeah. You know, so I mean, they you just know, uh, and that makes me really excited when I think about the future of the industry. Is as these mm -hmm. kids grow up and get out into the workforce, we'll start to see some really really exciting stuff happen. You know what I want to put out? I you know I didn't realize I'd say this, but um, there's a couple conferences I wanted to go to, and uh, they won't allow anyone under 18, and they are 3D printing conferences. So I don't know if you have any influence in this regard, but I think <laughs> no, I, I think I, that's uh, that's beyond my, my I, powers, I, unfortunately. But uh, that's interesting. It is. It is. I didn't, but, re I didn't realize that I didn't realize that that was the case. Uh, that's, that is. Yeah, and I, I bring it up. I bring it up because I have a at least somewhat of a platform here, and you do too, because you're with Stratasys. Mm -hmm. But uh, if if it ever comes up. You know, in meetings at the company and everything, and just in your in your world, I would encourage you to to push that because so far I've seen the opposite. Very strangely, why they wouldn't want uh, people below eighteen at a at a conference like that. You know, it's you would think it would be the opposite, but um, yeah, just 
again, it's out of context. Yeah, that's, but that is an interesting I, I brought it up. one. I mean, you know, and we do do. I mean, we you know we we work with sort of all levels of education, right? So I mean, we, we've seen, you know, we've put MakerBots into into you know um, you know down into sort of kindergarten level. You know, I mean, I mean, so mm. so very very young children are 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 you know they're very good at using the technology, and it's just intuitive to them. So yeah, that that is kind of a strange. Uh, a strange policy. It's probably it probably has to do with something with the organizers and some sort of insurance liability or something or other. That's what I would I would guess. Yeah, I just you know wanted to bring it up because it's, uh, it's yeah. very irksome. My son is nine and you know he's he loves this stuff. He's so fascinated by it, and I'm sure anyone's kids would be. So it would be yeah. a, a foolish thing to keep them out of it. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, well, it leads to a question: Why does Stratasys? I mean, why isn't Stratasys sticking to the industrial? Uh, commercial manufacturing side of things. Why, why buy MakerBot? Why get into right. the uh, consumer space? What do you think will happen there? Well, I think there's there's a couple answers to that right. One I think is that it, we don't we don't we try to stay away from using the word consumer to describe MakerBot first of all, right? And I think that's a, that's an important um, point because you know in the in you know sort of uh, the kind of 2013 2014 you know years. Uh, you know, we definitely the industry itself was moving through a, a pretty pretty big hype cycle phase, right? So the growth was growth was out growth was out of control. Um, everything was you know up and to the right, uh, and then and there was a lot of talk in the media, right, about this you know very very you know pe- the media was really feeding this hype about sort of consumer 3D printing and everyone's going to have one at home and they're going to be you know printing bananas with them and all this, and, um, <laughs> and and frankly that was never what we were seeing in our customers, right? So so even at that time, you know MakerBot was um, you know maybe maybe 10% of MakerBot sales were actually going to what we would consider to be a consumer, right? And this is someone like taking this home and using it in their house with their kids. The majority of the sales were going into um, the same the same customers that Stratasys has on the on the high end. You know, it's just 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 a different usage pattern. You know, so we were selling to NASA, right? So NASA is a customer on the high end. Um, NASA on an individual engineer basis were MakerBot customers. So the the engineers were buying MakerBots on their company cards. Um, and just keeping them on their desks and and doing lots of pre prototypes and things like that before they would then go off to use the more expensive systems um you know so that cool. that was the the dynamic we were seeing it, it you know the 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 consumer market i don't think it's um you know i don't think it's there i don't think the technology is there at this point um and i, I think it'll be quite some time before we get to that stage um now there's obviously there there's a there is a large um you know a, a sort of niche kind of hobbyist you know hacker sort of do it yourself um market out there um but but for the most part there's not really a a large kind of consumer market that that sort of you know necessitates these things being in being in home depots and toys r us and you know stores like that mm. Yeah, what is I mean for for people that don't know, what's the dividing line between a hobbyist machine like a MakerBot and a commercial or industrial one, big one, you know, what in terms of capabilities, materials and all that stuff? Yeah, so I mean the the history on it's really kind of interesting. I mean, so Stratasys had invented that techno- the FDM technology and then in um and, but it was primarily used for the high end and the cheapest machine Stratasys sold was let's say t- you know around $10,000. And this was all the way up to to let's say you know I think 2009ish. And that's when the core patent expired around the FDM technology and then you had this sort of uh, MakerBot was one of the first out of the gate um 
you know, companies that, that came up in that environment and, and started selling these very, very low cost, very low functionality, uh, you know, kits at the beginning, uh, 3D printers, um, you know, and, and kind of the price point differentiation is sort of, we, we like to think about it as sort of below $5,000. If it's below $5,000, we consider it a desktop system. Um, and that's what MakerBot sort of, MakerBot really created that industry. Um, Stratasys looked at that industry and said, you know, you know, said, look, you know, this is happening whether we like it or not. Um, you know, the, these low-cost systems are eventually going to pressure the bottom of our, you know, of our portfolio, um, and we would rather do it ourselves. So we'd rather, if we're going to see cannibalization, we would rather self-cannibalize, um, you know, from a business unit of our own. So they, they acquired MakerBot, um, you know, and, uh, and we still see that price point probably around the 5K. $5,000 is probably the price point that we differentiate. Uh, but I think the big misconception is, is again, what, those, what the majority of those systems are actually being used for, right? And it's sort of a mainly professional users um, and education users as opposed to sort of your, your true kind of, you know, consumer user. Um, the hobbyist tinker guys, they're still around, but to be honest, they, they tend to prefer um, some, you know, more of the kit-based systems and things like that that are a little easier to tinker with. Okay, got it. Um, what do you think is going to happen with manufacturing in the next few years with the rise of, uh, of 3D printing? Do you think uh, manufacturers will turn more towards uh, design? They'll become more design firms instead of cranking out parts and products? Or do you think um, there's still plenty of room for mass production? Oh, I mean, I, I think for the, you know, short to midterm, um, there's certainly no no sort of decline. You know, we're not going to see, you know, injection molding fall off the map, right? I mean, in, injection molding is just such a, a ruthlessly efficient way of doing, doing you know, manufacturing. And, um, you know, we're, we're so far away from that, right, from, from being able to produce at that kind of scale. Um, you know, what I think, what I think, honestly, what I think we'll see is I think we'll, you'll see the manufacturing companies incorporating the technology into their own businesses so that they can move faster and be more cost effective. You know, so for, for example, um, you know, injection molds, right? And making an injection mold is incredibly expensive and, and, and often the mold itself, the first one they make, uh, you know, some sort of defect might creep in or it might not be exactly what they want. So they'll spend all this money making this mold with a CNC process, um, CNC aluminum or something like that. And then the mold will be wrong and they'll have to scrap the tools and, and redo it all. And that'll take a lot of time and a lot of money. Um, with 3D printing, that same manufacturer can 3D print that mold for the first run just to make sure the design is right, and then they can switch over to the the, the regular you know uh, you know injection molding system that they that they they, they sort of know and love, um, and achieve those kinds of economies of scale. So there, there's a place for 3D printing within the traditional manufacturing process that doesn't necessarily have to you know it, it's not a, um, a you know it's not a case of, of pushing out a different technology. It's more complementary than anything else, at least for the short to medium term. Now long term, we would love it if we could compete with you know things like injection molding, but that there's a lot of technical barriers that we would have to get through. It actually may expand the the ability of um, manufacturing companies to provide legacy product support because they don't have to keep inventory on hand just mm -hmm. for designs yeah. and they could 3D print sure. stuff that's no longer in production, you know. Oh sure, that's yeah, that's absolutely the case. I mean, you know, is is what it was interesting the way. So I, I, you know, mentioned you know we we've done a lot of work with Airbus, and and one of the reasons that you know we started working with Airbus and they started engaging with us uh, around sort of these end-use part applications for for you know for in-flight for for their jets was that you know they were they were nervous about um, their supply chain, 
and, and being being too dependent on single vendors for certain parts, right? So it, it wasn't that they were say you know looking to save money on the part or that or that we could 3D print it any better than this company that was injection molding the part was. It was that they were worried about the supply chain and they were worried about having enough of this part on hand um, if anything should happen you know in their supply chain. And so they thought, okay, well, what better way to to get away from the problem of managing inventory and supply chains than to eliminate it altogether by putting this printer, you know, bringing this printer in-house when we can just print these out whenever we need them, right? And so that initially that was kind of the conversation. Now, it moved into some other areas once they realized that they could actually save money on an individual part basis using 3D printing. But the initial, you know, sort of impetus to it was was, was really about logistics. Um, and I thought that, you know, that that's kind of a – and I think we're going to see a lot more of that, too, as companies start to realize the benefits they can get um, from bringing this technology in-house. Okay. Um, is there any play in, uh, you know, in retail uh, stores that instead of you know having a store full of products, they have uh, various 3D printers like a kind of like a Kinkos of 3D printing where you you know you don't have a home unit but you have uh, you know big commercial units where people can go and pick up stuff. Yeah, I mean, so so we have a we have a business. You know, we've we acquired a couple of companies over the last few years, and and we had it. We had a, a small business doing that internally. Um, it's called uh, Stratasys Direct Manufacturing, and it, we, I, I tend to explain it as sort of you know sort of like a Kinko's model. Um, you know, where if you don't have the printer in house and you need you know a widget made, um, you know you can go to the, their website and and get a price quote and send them the file, and 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 they'll they'll print the part and send it to you. Um, and we do see that as a big part of the business. Now, our in our case. We focus that business really, really on the on the on the very high end applications. Um, you know, mostly around uh, aerospace, um, auto, um, you know, manufacturing focused applications because that's you know we we believe that's kind of where the real growth opportunities are. Um, now, there's a couple other there's other companies and other other players in the industry that are focusing more on that kind of more consumer level. Shapeways is a great example. They've been around for many years now. Um, you know, where you can they're kind of like the Etsy of 3D printing. So I can go on to Shapeways, I can create a profile page, I can design some cool jewelry. And then I put it up there, and then you come on and, and buy the cool jewelry, and they're going to print it and send it to you. So uh, as the creator, I never hold the inventory. I never have to deal with that. Shapeways is handling the fulfillment, the printing, and the sending. So there, there's some, there are companies who are, who are working on that. Um, so I, I do think we'll see, we will see more of that um, you know, over the next few years. Yeah, so a company called Feats that does uh, custom-printed 3D shoes, so, yeah, 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 exactly. There's a lot of little niche guy, you know, niche players who are popping up, servicing very, very specific markets. There's a company called Normal that that did. Um, I'm not sure if they're still around or not, but they did uh, earphones. You know, for your for your um, you know for for your uh, for your phone, so you could listen to music. And they they had a cool app where it kind of scanned your ear, and they could create custom. You know, they would they would print out custom earbuds. Um, they were pretty good. I mean, so so there's there's some there's a lot of little examples like that. Yeah, that's a question. That's that's the entry point. Well, one of the entry points besides design and using CAD or specialized CAD programs to make 3D models or representations. Mm -hmm. What about 3D scanners? The Stratasys have uh, some high-end ones, and how good is the resolution, and how important is that to the end finished product? 
Yeah, so I mean, we've we've kind of stayed out of the scanner side of the industry. Um, you know, we we prefer just sort of philosophically as a as a company, um, we try to stick with our our core competencies, right? And, and and scanning, you know, there's plenty of people out there who do a great job, uh, you know, making 3D scanners, uh, very very precise laser scanners, um, and it's not something that we've necessarily felt like we needed to to offer as a product. Now we've you know, we've worked with the scanning companies to have integrations with our software so that you can scan something and integrate it right to our software so that you could then print it. So, you know, we, we work with those people in partnerships, but it's not, not something that we've pursued as a, as a, you know, as a business in and of itself. Um, we did try at MakerBot, you know, um, a few years ago, we did launch a desktop scanner called the Digitizer. Um, and it was kind of an idea before its time, I think. I think it, it, it came out and it was, it was a pretty good scanner for the price. Um, you know, it was very low cost, um, but it just didn't really, you know, what we learned from that is that you know the your your you know, the, the the people who are willing to sacrifice sort of the loss of functionality right of having a low cost scanner didn't really have that much to do with it it turned out in the end and so you know we we just did in sure. the end we discontinued that product but um yeah it was it was a good experiment i'm glad we did it you know we kind of validated you know we 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 learned the lesson right that that the the, the low end market really wasn't ready for um for that kind of product okay all right let's get a couple more questions um so what does the 3D printing landscape look like to you in five years and then maybe 10, 15 years, you know, the, the near term and a short and a short term? Well, I think, you know, I think over the next few years right now, we're, we're kind of in an interesting period right now. So the industry is transitioning from what, what was very a, a very um, generic industry where it was it was enough over the last few years to, to be very technology driven, right? To say, okay, you know, our, our, our R&D guys designed this cool 3D printer. It does cool stuff. Um, you know, figure out what to do with it, right? That, and it would just kind of give that to the customer, and the customer would would figure out what to do with it. Um, now we're moving into a much more solutions-focused part of the phase of the industry, right? Where we have to go to the customer, we have to go to Airbus and say, Airbus, here's this printer, here's a plastic that's been cleared for use in aerospace applications by all the relevant government agencies, you know, and here's a team of application engineers that are going to help you apply to this to your business. And, and th those applications are a lot harder to penetrate um, when you move into the more specific, you know, application-focused uh, solution driven model, but the payoff is much larger, right? And so so I think we're going through that period right now and, and so there's been a bit of a slowdown in hardware sales and um you know as we sort of transition the industry from a generic industry into a much more focused industry. Um and I, I think that, that that's that and you can see that across the industry. I think in all the companies everyone's sort of sort of, you know, moving through that that phase. Um I expect we'll move through that phase and I and I think we'll see some you know, we'll start to see some some really meaningful adoption on the manufacturing side, certainly in the next five years. Um, you know, as we right. as we sort of dial in some of these these new 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 iterations of the technology that that, that really are focused on on what these big customers really need. Um, Ten years down the line, I mean, who knows? You know, I, I the. I mean, look for context. I, 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 I was an early MakerBot employee, so I joined when that was just in the startup phase. We were just in a garage, um, and and that was just in 2012, right? Cool. And so, so, so it, the change has been has been very, very extreme and very fast moving. So, uh, 10 years is, yeah. uh, I, I think, it's a bit far out to even speculate. But I, I look, look, this stuff isn't a fad, right? It's not going anywhere. Um, so I right. would expect it to, uh, to to keep growing and and then some really exciting stuff to happen. Uh, last question. What about uh, intellectual property? What do you think that uh, 3D printing is going to do to it? Will it hurt it, uh, narrow its scope, uh, kill it completely? What do you think will happen? That's a really good question. Um, and there's, to be honest, there's not really a, a clear answer at this point. I mean, so far, I, you know, I think that the 
you know, we've we've we go through phases, right? Where we, you know, there'll be articles about that and different trade, you know, trade, you know, publications and blogs, and you know, people will sort of be concerned about it. And, and frankly, we haven't really run into it as a as a serious issue at this point. And I think mainly that's because, you know, frankly, the the quality of the output of the printers doesn't doesn't approximate what the real item would be. And so, right. you, you know, it, it hasn't really been an issue so far. Um, Thingiverse is an interesting experiment with that, and that's our our, our file sharing website that we own, um, you know, under under the MakerBot brand, um, right? And so there's all these models that people are uploading. People are designing models. They're uploading. It's community-driven, um, giving away the models for free, uh, and uh, everything's under a Creative Commons license, right? And, and in general, we haven't really seen any kind of major issues with that from an IP perspective and, and from a copyright and sort of you know patent perspective. We haven't really run into those yet, um, but um, it's definitely something that a lot of people are paying very close attention to. Um, there's some interesting you know plans I think in the works with you know how to how to stream a file just like you know ne the way Netflix works right so like stream a file to a printer so if you were to go buy a file from a company they could stream it to your printer or to wherever it was being printed so that you would never actually own the file and you would just have the, the object printed out oh, um, there's other okay. I, there's other other technologies people are working on with watermarking the parts um, you know and this is in, that's important from a safety perspective and compliance issue you know if, again if you're Airbus and you want to print a part to go on the plane you need to make sure that that part's not a knockoff design right it has to be the, the actual design that's been cleared for use in that application. So there's there's all sorts of ways right. to, to watermark the file um, so that when it's printed, you can actually tell if it's it's the you know the um, the sort of the original file, things like that. Um, so yeah, huh. issue big issue. Lots of lots of questions around it. No clear consensus yet on sort of how it'll all shake out. Very interesting. Okay. Well, <laughs> this has been a great interview. I really appreciate your time. You covered a lot of topics and. Um, I think it's going to give a lot for people to chew on. There's a lot uh, going on in this part of the world, you know. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating industry, and it's, it's really in the early stages. Um, you know, even though it's, you know, been around for 25 plus years, it's still, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very much in the early days. So yeah, th there'll be a lot of exciting stuff happening. All right, and then for listeners that want to find out more about what Stratasys has to offer uh, to get involved and and. Uh, to check you out, what's the best way for them to start to engage with Stratasys? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have a lot of great material on our website, um, so that's just you know Stratasys.com. Um, you know, we have a lot of great case studies, videos, you know, you know, to, uh, things people can watch around specific applications to get a feel of of, of sort of you know uh, what customers are actually doing with the technology. Um, I would encourage anybody who's interested in the technology to go, you know, track down someone who has a printer and 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 kind of just poke your head in there and see how it's working um, and that's easier and easier these days a lot of you know a lot of schools have printers um, uh, you know a lot of libraries now have printers so I think that's the that's that's the most you know important part really is to, to get your feet wet with the technology and just go start printing stuff um, you know and uh, and that's the, it is more accessible than, than, than you might imagine once you start you know poking around for for hacker spaces libraries schools uh, that might have the technology I, I think that's the most important thing to do Actually, one last question. That's kind of silly, but is there a um, a movement to have three D printers make three D printers? Yeah, yes, of course there is. <laughs> yeah, actually, I mean that was the original in two thousand nine. You know, when the when the the FDM patent expired, you know that was the original goal of sort of the, this open source project, open source hardware project that spouted up was, you know, around uh, self replicating three D printers and and the the original RepRap projects. I mean, with the exception of a few of the metal parts, um, you know, these were printers that were designed to print you know more parts for more printers so uh so yeah it's uh sure. you know you can't do the whole thing but um but but you certainly can print a lot of parts for the printers 
Yeah, that'd be kind of odd once it gets to the point where a 3D printer can print another 3D printer and, and be yet another. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It gets it gets pretty uh, science fictiony pretty fast. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, this has been great. I appreciate your time. Uh, and a great interview. And thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Richard. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.